This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. Turn with me to God's Word as it is found in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, before we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism and its explanation of the truth of the means of grace, we turn to God's Word upon which the Catechism is based. 1 Corinthians 1, we begin reading at verse 18. We read through chapter 2. 1 Corinthians 1, 18. Hear the Word of God. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world, the things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. But of Him are ye in Christ, Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that according as it is written, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Christ Jesus and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even that hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. 
But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yea, he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We read that far in God's holy and inspired word. We turn now to the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 25. Lord's Day 25, page 14. Take note as we read through this Lord's Day, not only of the answers, but the questions. We do look carefully at the questions this morning. Not only the answers. Question 65. Since then, we are made partakers of Christ in all His benefits by faith only. Whence doth this faith proceed? From the Holy Ghost who works faith in our hearts by the preaching of the Gospel and confirms it by the use of the sacraments. What are the sacraments? The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals appointed of God for this end, that by the use thereof He may the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the Gospel, namely, that He grants us freely the remission of sin and life eternal for the sake of that one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. Are both word and sacraments then ordained and appointed for this end that they may direct our faith to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed. For the Holy Ghost teaches us in the Gospel and assures us by the sacraments that the whole of our salvation depends upon that one sacrifice of Christ which He offered for us on the cross. How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the New Covenant or Testament? Two, namely, Holy Baptism and the Holy Supper. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we consider Lord's Day 25, which explains to us the doctrine of what is commonly called the means of grace. The means of grace. That theological term, means of grace, is frequently used in the Reformed tradition to refer to preaching, one of the means of grace, the sacraments, and even Christian discipline. That term, means of grace, can even be broadly referred to when we think of prayer and the reading of the Bible and the communion of the saints and godly parenting and Christian education. There are many means that God uses in His grace. It's an orthodox term. And yet we must be careful as we use that term not to misunderstand what the means of grace are and how God uses them. There are errors, serious errors, even Roman Catholic errors, that can be derived from a misunderstanding of the means of grace. And so I call you this morning to listen carefully to the Catechism's explanation and to the preaching of the Word, that we might have a proper understanding of the means of grace. One way that the Heidelberg Catechism helps us to avoid serious error and misunderstanding regarding the means of grace is by using a slightly different term. It's synonymous, but a slightly different term that is more precise than the means of grace. Really, the Catechism speaks of the means of faith. Notice that with me. Question 65 asks, the last part of question 65, the main part of the question itself, whence doth this faith proceed? Where does this faith come from? And then answer from the Holy Ghost who works faith in our hearts by means of the preaching of the gospel and confirms it, meaning confirms faith by the use of the sacraments. 
you can see that the catechism is speaking of the means as the means of faith. That helps us understand properly the doctrine of the means of grace. There are two kinds of errors that we must avoid, often with respect to any doctrine. Any doctrine in Scripture, there are often two ditches that we need to avoid. And I point out two ditches immediately regarding the means of grace. There's often the ditch of legalism or of works righteousness, Arminianism, Roman Catholicism. But there's also the ditch of lawlessness, hyper-Calvinism, antinomianism. We must avoid both of them as we approach the means of grace or the means of faith. The hyper-Calvinistic, lawless, antinomian kind tends to deny or ignore the means altogether. Those in that ditch often will not outrightly deny that God uses means, but they will speak of it as such, that God doesn't use means. God did it. God built it. God saves. God gives faith, but will ignore or deny the importance of means. Very little or no time will be spent exhorting God's people to use the means. Little will be said about the consequences of those who ignore, reject, neglect the means. That is a hyper-Calvinistic antinomian approach to the means of grace. I warn you of that. On the other hand, I warn you of another error, the legalistic or Romish ditch of making too much of the means so that the means becomes the source of grace rather than Christ Jesus through faith alone. There is that ditch too so that God's people begin to think that the preaching itself is grace or the sacraments themselves is grace or prayer bible reading parenting christian education and the many means themselves are grace powers sources themselves and then you see god's people begin to rely on these means rather than on Christ Jesus. And that was what was going on in the Roman Catholic Church, if you remember in Reformation history. But the people began to depend on the externals, on what the Catholic Church would call means, especially in their sacraments. Consider with me the means of faith as taught in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 25. First, the ordinary means. And then secondly, the primary means of the preaching. And then third, the secondary means. If we look at Lord's Day 25 and the question, in the first part of the answer, I want to point you to three things, three points that we must refresh our memories on before we speak directly of the means. Question 65, and then the first part of its answer. Since then we are made partakers of Christ and all His benefits by faith only. Whence doth this faith proceed? And the answer immediately says, from the Holy Ghost. Let's refresh our memories on three points. First, Christ alone is the source. Christ alone is the source of every blessing of salvation. Christ alone is the source of all grace. Christ alone. Never forget that. You know that, children. You know that, people of God. Christ alone. Notice that it didn't say that Christ alone is the basis or the ground of our salvation. Though that is true as well. By His one sacrifice on the cross, He has earned, He has procured, He has purchased all the blessings of salvation for us. Through His suffering, through His obedience, 
Through his death, he has earned it all. But the point is not only that he has earned it all, but he also applies every single blessing of salvation. He is the source, the one who takes what he has earned and distributes every blessing of salvation to the hearts of his chosen people. He does that as well. He has not only acquired it, but he applies it. He works it in us. He causes us. He alone causes us to experience every blessing of salvation. Arminianism would agree that Christ has earned it all, but they would say that now we, with our free will, have to somehow get it for ourselves, cooperate with Christ to take the blessings which He has made available. It depends, in a certain sense, on man's free will acceptance. And the Reformed Church has always denied that according to Scripture, expressing, insisting that Christ alone requires and applies. He is the source. 1 Corinthians 1.30 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 is one of the most beautiful proof texts of this point that Christ alone is the source of all the blessings of salvation. But of Him, meaning of God, are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. What that verse is saying is that all the blessings of salvation, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, and it doesn't list every single one explicitly, but every single blessing of salvation we receive and experience from the one, the one source, Jesus Christ. So now in considering the doctrine of the means of grace, you and I may never think that the source is the means itself. That we somehow receive grace from the water or from the elements of the Lord's Supper or even from the preacher and his preaching. The source is Christ alone. Secondly, what we must understand is that faith alone is the instrument that's connected to the first. Faith alone is the only instrument through which we receive all these blessings of salvation. Question 65 makes that clear, doesn't it? We are made partakers of Christ and all His benefits by faith only. Faith only. Here's where we run into some issues with our English language. Often the word means, means of grace, means of faith, we use as synonymous to the word instrument, which theologically refers to faith alone, through which we receive every blessing from Jesus Christ. Do not mix means of grace with faith. Do not mix means of grace with faith. That has been a problem in our own minds. And the past controversy has helped us develop in this. Do you need to be forgiven? Do you need strength to fight against sin? Do you need power to be sanctified? Do you need, pro do you need to make progress in your holy life? Do you need to love your spouse? Do you need help to fight against your addiction? Do you need preservation from false doctrine and preservation from sin? Don't rely... The instrument isn't in the means of grace. Rely by faith on Jesus Christ alone. Faith alone is the instrument. The catechism makes that clear. Faith is the bond, the graft. You remember that? That joins us, dead branches, to Jesus Christ. Connects us to the living vine. It's a living bond. Not a dead bond. Not a mere union, but a bond that clings, embraces, trusts in, draws or even sucks from Christ. 
all the blessings of salvation. Faith alone is the instrument. Christ alone is the source. And third, we must understand, as the Catechism shows us, that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the one who gives and strengthens the faith that unites us to Christ. Faith is not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. The Holy Spirit forms that bond between you and Christ. And the Holy Spirit is the one who causes you both to will and to act in believing and clinging and trusting in that Savior. And He is the one that causes to flow from Christ through faith to you every blessing of salvation. The Holy Spirit is. He is the worker of faith. He is the sustainer of faith. He is the one who enables you to believe. Now stop and marvel at that. Never stop marveling at how every application of the blessings of salvation, every benefit that you experience in salvation is what God does. By faith alone, in Christ alone, by the working of the Holy Spirit. And now we may move to the means, not forgetting what we just talked about. In His wisdom, in His grace, God chooses to use earthly, weak means. The Spirit chooses to use these means, these tools, to give us faith and to strengthen that faith through which we receive every blessing of salvation. When we think of means, we can think of tools. Think of a carpenter with tools in his toolbox, children. A hammer, a saw, a screwdriver. Think of an artist with the tool of a paintbrush. Think of a, a writer of a book with the tool of a pen. These tools of themselves are weak. You think about a hammer. You think about a pen, a paintbrush. By themselves, they... They just lay there on the table or in the toolbox. They, they can't do anything of themselves. They're weak. They're tools. And yet, the carpenter picks up his tools and uses those tools to build. And the painter picks up his tool and uses that weak tool to paint a beautiful piece of art. And the writer uses that tool to write a book. God the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit chooses to use tools to work faith and to strengthen that faith in Jesus Christ. Does he need those tools? Is he dependent on those tools? No. The Holy Spirit can work faith in our hearts without tools, without means. He's God. But here's the point. Does he want to use those tools? Does he choose to use those tools? Yes. He chooses to use weak means to form and to strengthen faith. Means of faith. There's preaching of the Word, the Gospel, and there are sacraments. Before we describe those two main tools and means, I want you to recognize what I implied in the introduction 
God uses many other means, many other tools, which He shows in His Word, not only preaching and sacraments. Don't neglect other means as well. Remember, we, st- we spoke of prayer. In our family visitation text, we talked about singing, admonishment, godly conversation, witnessing to each other, Christian education, personal study of the Bible, Bible societies in the church. Use those means that God has given. He chooses to use means to give and to strengthen faith. Don't be suspicious of those who call you to use means. In exhorting you to use means, I warn you, however, of another error both a doctrinal and a practical one that I mentioned in the introduction. It confuses the means of grace with faith itself. Preaching the sacraments and other means that the Holy Spirit uses is different from the bond of faith that joins you to Christ. They're not a bunch of other instruments along with faith that God uses. No. But faith alone is the instrument through which you draw all blessings from Christ. Not the means themselves. That might not seem like such a problem to confuse means of grace with faith itself, but it does become a problem very easily and very quickly. You might say to me this morning, you're splitting hairs, Pastor Matani. Then you would be saying that about the catechism as well. The catechism is very clear. And the question, question 65, how are we made partakers of Christ and all of His benefits? By faith only. By faith only. And then distinguishing faith alone is the only instrument that speaks of the means, the weak tools that God uses to strengthen that faith. You must be clear on that, not only doctrinally, but I explain to you how that can be a problem, practically, concretely. If you and I begin to think of preaching and sacraments, as faith, then we will come to church twice, we'll say even, because preaching itself and sacraments will give us grace. The preacher himself becomes the source of blessings of salvation. The sacraments themselves become the source of salvation. Even Bible reading, we will begin to think that Bible reading, longer prayers, they then, those actions themselves become the source of blessings of salvation. The result is the human attempt to manipulate God with our works to receive blessings. It's the same thing as the superstitions that were taking place in the Roman Catholic Church. So I exhort you, beloved, do not confuse faith as the only instrument with the means that the Spirit uses to strengthen that faith. Question 67 is helpful. Question 67. Both the Word and the sacraments, the means of grace, or the means of faith, then, are ordained and appointed for this end, that they may direct our faith to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation. As you use, and you're exhorted to use, the means of grace, always remember that power and grace and strength and all the blessings flow not this way, from the means to you, but as you use them, 
power and grace flows this way. From Christ through the bond of faith to you. And the means are merely to direct you upward. Always to Jesus who was crucified for you. Always to Jesus who has acquired and is the source of all your blessings. Go to church twice, yes. Listen to two sermons, yes. But not so that you can say, I went to church twice and I got grace from the services themselves. I go to church twice and listen to two sermons because they direct me upward to Jesus Christ from whom I receive every blessing. Read the Bible, yes. Read the Bible every day and pray every day, beloved. But not because those actions themselves gain me, get me something. But because those That Bible reading, that prayer, directs me upward to Jesus Christ from whom I receive every blessing. That's important. That we depend not on our works and our use of means. We depend on Jesus. The means direct us of faith to Jesus Christ. And the primary, the most important tool that the Spirit has chosen to use to direct our faith to Jesus Christ, from whom all blessings flow, is the preaching of the Gospel. Do you use the means of the preaching of the Gospel? Let's be clear about what that preaching is that the Spirit chooses to use. It's not just a man behind a pulpit in a church building that doesn't make preaching. Children, just because you see a pulpit and a man behind it, you should not think that's automatically preaching. Just because he sounds like he knows a few things or quotes a few Scripture passages does not mean he's preaching. Just because he may sound authoritative or may seem to be humble does not mean he is preaching. Many people who feel like they are receiving preaching are not receiving preaching. To understand biblically what preaching is, preaching, first of all, is based upon God's inspired Word. The preaching is of the Word of God. That's simple. But it must be an explanation and an application of what God is saying in His Word. Hebrews 4.12 The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Faith cometh by hearing. Don't forget the second part. Faith doesn't just come by hearing someone talk. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God referring to the inspired Scriptures. Be noble Bereans who search the Scriptures to see if these things which come off this pulpit are indeed true. That is in line with the Word, the inspired Word of God. Second, about preaching, it must have the Gospel of Christ and Him crucified at its heart. The Gospel must always be heard of Christ and Him crucified. That's 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. Again and again, Paul speaks of that. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 1, I determined not to know anything among you save Christ and Him crucified. So yes, preaching will include an explanation of the inspired text, the Word of God. An explanation of the catechism's question and answers, which is based on the Word of God. But you must hear in the preaching, not just the commentary of the words of a text in the Bible, but you must hear 
how those words point you, remember, direct you to Christ, Jesus, and Him crucified, what He has acquired for you, what He is doing to apply every benefit to you. The Word and the sacraments must direct us to that sacrifice of Christ on the cross. In every sermon, you ought to hear that. Such preaching, the Holy Spirit uses. Thirdly, preaching is by one who is sent. By one who is sent. It's based on the Word. It's on Christ and Him crucified. And one who is sent. When Paul speaks here in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, he's not talking about someone witnessing. Sometimes someone witnessing the Gospel can be called preaching. But he's not talking about unofficial preaching by someone witnessing the Gospel. He's talking about official preaching. One whom King Jesus has sent as His herald. One that Romans 10, verse 15 describes, how shall they preach except they be sent? And Christ sends men to preach that Gospel by using the church of the New Testament. The church according to the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 2 prayerfully chooses by the power of the Holy Spirit, men, able men, to bring forth that Word. God uses those men. Sent as His tool. What makes, what makes that preaching powerful? As Paul puts it, power unto salvation. It's not the preacher. It's not the preacher himself. And neither is it the listeners. That's not what makes it powerful. You know that, but I remind you of it. Paul makes that point explicit in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 3, and 4. He speaks personally. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Paul admits that he was not the best speaker. He could have pointed to many other speakers in the Greek world of, his, Greek world of that day who were better speakers than he was. That doesn't mean that he couldn't speak clearly. But it does mean that he was not the best speaker. They could point to other more eloquent, more authoritative sounding speakers even of his day. He admits he had weakness. He didn't have the vocabulary perhaps or the flowery language and even chose not to use that as the Greek orators of his day. He didn't try to insert rationalism to include the disputings. He refers to that in chapter 1 of this world. Preaching that I'm talking about, Paul says, by the Spirit, that God uses, is powerful not because of the speaker. In fact, The best speakers can be a distraction. You need to hear that. The best speakers and preachers can be a distraction from Jesus Christ. Verse 5 of chapter 2. 
that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The application here, beloved, is not that we don't train men to preach the gospel well. The application is that God's people may not be distracted by the man. The preaching must always direct God's people to Christ. That He might increase and the man might always decrease. It's not because of the preacher that the preaching is powerful. It's not because of the people. Paul makes that explicit as well. Verse 26 of chapter 1. You see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world. And he's talking about foolish people of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. The preaching wasn't effective because of the people who received the preaching. Not because they were so smart. Because they were wiser than the people down, down the block. So why? How? How can a weak tool of preaching be a power? Well, the answer is Jesus Christ by His Spirit. Christ is not only the content of the preaching. He is the preacher during the preaching. To put it concretely, to help you think through this, beloved, you might hear in this building, with your ears, a man's voice explaining the Scriptures and today the means of faith. Well, you should also think about how your heart is joined by the bond of faith intimately to Jesus Christ, the preacher. So that as you hear what is spoken in explanation of God's Word about Jesus Christ, your ears not only hear, but connected by faith to Christ, you hear Jesus speak to you by His Spirit. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And during the preaching, with the preaching as His tool, He forms faith. And He strengthens that faith. Not for everyone. He also hardens. For some who hear the preaching of the gospel, it is foolishness, Paul says. A foolish, just a radical, over, overly excited man, unimpressively talking about unbelievable historical facts and Doctrines that don't matter. That's how the world will respond to the preaching. That's how some even within the church respond to the preaching. It's a stumbling block. Verse 23 of chapter 1. That which one trips over. What is preaching to you? Something to be overly critical about. To complain about. It's part of the foolishness mentality of preaching. 
Because then too you focus on the man. Something that you think is boring. Or something that you know by faith. Christ Jesus uses as His tool, weak as it is, to strengthen your faith. Is it foolishness to you? Or is the preaching a means of faith? The second ordinary powerful tool which God uses is the sacraments. Don't minimize it just because it's called secondary. It's called secondary because it is second to preaching, which is primary. Is second because the sacraments of themselves cannot form, the Spirit does not use sacraments to form faith, while He does use preaching to form faith for the first time. The sacraments, the Catechism says, confirm or strengthen our faith when they come with the preaching, when they come with the Word, which explains what those sacraments mean. Sacraments are similar to preaching. Like preaching, they take place officially in the church. They're by an ordained man who is sent by the church. But the most important similarity between the sacraments and the preaching is they communicate the same gospel. They show forth the same Jesus Christ. Question 67 again. Both the Word and the sacraments direct our faith to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. The sacraments are different in that they engage different senses. While the preaching engages primarily your hearing sense, the sacraments come to you to engage your seeing, your sight. So you see the bread and wine. You see the water. The sacraments come to you to engage your touch, your sen- you touch the bread, you touch the wine, and even your taste, your sense of taste. That is God's manner of presenting the Gospel to your senses, your physical senses even, to more fully declare that Gospel. Or say 25 says. The sacraments... God uses, the Spirit uses as His weak means to show you, signify to you the Gospel, and to seal that Gospel to you. The Catechism defines them as signs and seals. And while signs are pictures, seals are personal confirmations or personal assurances to you. So that as we partake of the sacraments, we see the water of baptism, we see the breaking of the bread and the pouring out of the wine, and we take and taste. By faith we're directed upward. To Jesus Christ who says with those sacraments, I have broken my body and shed my blood for you. Not just for the elect, but their seals and that their confirmations to your souls. For you, just as surely as you take of that bread and eat of it and drink of that wine. I assure you, Jesus says by faith as you partake of the bread and wine. I've forgiven, of all, forgiven you of, my, of all your sins for my sake. You are in my covenant in spite of all your sins. I wash you. I enable you. I strengthen you. I nourish you. I freely grant to you remission and sanctification and wisdom 
preservation and glorification in every benefit. The sacraments are Christ's tools to assure you by faith that you are His. Powerful as we call the preaching. Powerful not in themselves, just as the preaching in of itself is not powerful. One French confession, a Reformed French confession, even says sacraments are just smoke and shadow of themselves. But weak tools, ordinary, so that when the worldly men and women look upon, they think, and you might think according to your sinful nature. How does water of baptism and bread and wine of communion and Someone talking off the pulpit. How does that do anything? That the child of God believes. He believes. He trusts not in the sacraments and the preaching themselves. But he trusts by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus, who uses weak means to fulfill His will. A means to give and strengthen faith. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast. We publish daily meditations. Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day Sermons on Wednesdays, and topical podcasts on Fridays. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org, and you can email us with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.